Hi, what a blessing to be able to share this time together with all of you, my friends, like I say, near and far, wherever you are. Some of you joining us for the very first time, some of you longtime participants and members of our Cornerstone Online community. I'm just so glad we're here together. I'm Pastor Terry Lee, pastor at Cornerstone Church in San Francisco. And you know what? I'm super excited because we're going to be starting a new series, Out of the Silence. This series is going to take us through Thanksgiving into Christmas and then all the way up to the new year. So um, I'm just looking forward to making this journey with you. And even now, Lord, I ask that you would, you would bless us, that you would speak to us, that you would meet us where we need it most. That's my prayer. Uh, be gracious. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. Blessed, this is a quote I love, blessed is the season which engages the whole world in a conspiracy of love. That's Hamilton, right? Maybe. And it reminds us that we're in a, a special time of the year where we get to really think about the love of God and how we are remembered and not forgotten. I alluded to this earlier, but our series is called Out of the Silence, and it's six parts. Lord willing, I will share them all. And um, well, the series itself, it zeroes in on the remarkable story that is recorded in exquisite detail in Luke 1. What we're talking about here is the birth of John, who would eventually be known as John the Baptist, the forerunner of Messiah Jesus. And interestingly enough, in the same way that his ministry preceded Jesus and prepared the way for him, so did his birth prepare the way for the birth of Jesus. So, you know, that's often an underappreciated nuance of the Christmas story. Now, the account of John's birth, which precedes the birth of Jesus, is really more a study or a telling of what happened to a priest, John's father, named Zechariah, and his mother, Elizabeth. And we were, we're going to see how they struggled especially he struggled to believe, to believe something that on the surface just seemed too good to be true, but was in actuality, listen, you've heard me say this before, to God to be false. And in a way that's true of Christmas as well. And the birth of Jesus, God's own son, the savior of the world. Can this actually be true? Is this actually real? I mean, is Christmas something that actually happened? Did God come into our world? as a baby and change everything? Like, was the human equation altered by God coming among us? It can almost seem too good to be true, but in reality, it's too God to be false. Listen to how it's described in Galatians, the fourth chapter, how the Son of God entered into our world. Look what it says. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem, that is to buy back, to buy the freedom of those who were under the law, that is, who were sin impacted or declared guilty, so that we might receive the adoption as sons. What we're being told here is that God came into this world to give us relationship with the Lord as his beloved sons and daughters, right? It's an amazing thing. And it really does tie in beautifully with John 3, 16 and 17, which I think is a wonderful you know, I, I love, that's my, these are my, John 3, 16 is my favorite verse in all the Bible because it, it perfectly connects to both Christmas and Easter. It reminds us of the Lord's coming and it reminds us of the Lord's sacrifice of love on the cross. 
In John 3.16, we're told that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but what? Have everlasting life, life overflowing now and to come. That to come part is a big deal. It means there's something more. And then the 17th verse follows it by saying, for God did not send his son into this world to condemn it. It already has the sentence of death upon it, but that the world through him might be saved. That's God's will. Everything hinges on Jesus. And whether or not, if I can just say this, he was simply a, you know, remarkable historical human figure, maybe on par with, say, Gandhi or Plato or Martin Luther King or Mother Teresa, or if he was indeed the Son of God, he claimed to be. Listen, if he's only the former, then, you know, just a good teacher, a great teacher in the pantheon of great human beings, then honestly, how can I say this? Every way is as good as another. And as a human race, we're just drifting. We're just drifting. We're, I might say into oblivion. We're just lost at sea with no land in sight, destined perhaps to be submerged by the very AI we have unleashed or to expunge ourselves, as some people think we will, in nuclear war, as the nations rage against nation and uh, inevitably doom humanity. It, you know, And in fact, the, the scriptures do imply that human beings <laughs> would destroy themselves if the Lord did not return first. That is, if the one who came the first time to us as a baby does not return to us as a conquering king, uh, that this world would collapse. But, but that's a whole nother story and a whole nother study. But we need to remember this. This is really important that Christmas invites us to explore something wonderful. That if um, Jesus was just a you know, and we need to remember this, that if Jesus was just a fascinating man, if he, was, if he was just one of the world's greatest and most influential teachers and not the light of the world that he claimed to be, born to die in our place so that we might get to a place we could never get to on our own, then there is no real one way. There is no real truth. There, there's just a bunch of competing philosophies, some of them religious, some of them not religious, none of which are adequate. No, And honestly, they're just things that their only real value is to kind of numb us through the pain of our dying and, and meaningless existence. You know, what Marx called the opiate of the people, just things to get us through happy feelings, but nothing real. But the question, listen, <laughs> the question prevails, and this is what I want us to get to, to what are we going to hitch our wagon? Jesus asked that question. As his popularity dimmed, he said, you know, will you also go away? And then Peter, some of you remember, made a timeless declaration that just answers the question that we've been just sitting with. Like, who is Jesus? Could he be who he said he was? And it says in verse 66 of John 6, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where are we going to look? You have the words of eternal life. 
and we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And if Jesus is the only begotten Son of God that Peter declared him to be, and Jesus himself claimed to be, and I believe him to be, and Christmas acknowledges him to be, <laughs> then all is not lost, is it? And we are not forgotten. And life, no matter how fragile, no matter how fleeting, is hmm, of, well, it's of great value and meaning, isn't it? And it's honestly just a, a foretaste of the joy that awaits those who will embrace Jesus and accept it, the gift that he's offering. If that is the case, and Jesus is who he said he was, and he was the one, the Savior, the light of the world, the Messiah, then this is just a mere prelude to the big dance that awaits all those who put their trust in him. And so, that, hey, that's why we say it. Joy to the world. Joy to the world. Why? The light has come. Joy to the world. Love wins. Joy to the world. There's so much more. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. So, yeah, Lord, just speak to our hearts as we celebrate you. All right, guys. Let's shift this around. Let's dive into the opening of Luke's gospel with an awareness that John's birth constitutes a link connecting the Old and the New, the Older Testament and the New Testament, connecting all that has gone before with the work that the Lord is anticipating is going to come. And as we approach the moment of verse 5 in Luke 1, we must remember that it has been approximately 400 years since the last prophet sent by the Lord has prophesied. That is Malachi. And that's also the last book of the Old Testament. And since that time, you got to remember this, there has been nothing but silence. Nothing. No real movement in heaven. Only stillness. And then a sound. A rustling in the heavens. A note at first, imperceptible, distant but true, growing, louder. God is on the march. The new beginning is beginning. What the first man, Adam, gave away, the last Adam will recover. And to use the marvelous language of C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia, winter is ending. Christmas is coming. Messiah is on his way, but first the birth of the one who will prepare the way and all of the drama that surrounded it. So much for us to ponder, consider, to be nourished by, to be blessed by, to be inspired by, to be helped by, to be encouraged by. Yeah, that's what I want for all of us. So let's begin. In the days of Herod, verse 5, Luke 1, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before the Lord, before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. First, we're told about King Herod. King Herod, though raised Jewish, was not actually of Jewish descent. He was rather a descendant of Esau, not of Jacob. So a relative, but not a true son of Israel, 
nor was he a king in the traditional sense. Uh, he was kind of more of a figurehead, a vassal of Rome at the time. And he will ultimately historically be remembered for two primarily things, one of which is his sheer brutality and lust for power, particularly in connection to the birth of Jesus. Some of you may recall in other parts of the Gospels we're told about this, but it's actually recorded in Matthew 2. But after a conversation that he had with the wise men of the East who had followed the star and were inquiring about the coming of, of Messiah, about the birth of the great king, uh, Herod hears this, and ultimately he has all male babies near Bethlehem under two put to death. Later, it will be known in church history as the murder of the innocents. So Herod, the great, as he's sometimes called, was known for that. And in, in many ways, it's something that is ignominious and um, a, a, a brutal testimony to who he was. Right? He was. He's infamous for what he did. But the other thing he is known for, which is a more positive is his building projects. He was a great builder. And one of the things he rebuilt was the temple in Jerusalem. And the, he expanded its base, including the famous portion that remains today. So some of what remains today and draws people from all over the world, I've been there. I'm talking about the Western Wall. The Western Wall is a, a remnant of something that was built by Herod, Herod's temple. He also built Masada. And, uh, and Caesarea. So in that regard, he was, he was pretty impressive, but he had a really mean streak. He was despotic in that way. And, and Israel, even though he called himself the king at the time, and he was threatened by the coming or the birth of the king, Israel really hadn't had a true king since the time of the captivity. And it was, it was at this unique time in history. I want us to understand this, right? As a despotic puppet king ruled that the true king would be born. But the way God starts the story is so gentle and soft, it catches us off guard. We're told in verse 5 that it begins with a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And it, it really is a curious way to begin, isn't it? For he, if we can put it this way, was, he was nothing special. He was, he, he was just ordinary, not, not without pedigree, for he could trace his genealogy all the way back to Aaron, the first high priest. But alas, he, he, he wasn't the high priest, not even close. He was just one of thousands, one seemingly insignificant member of one of the many subdivided groupings of priests who ministered in the temple. Once again, loved ones, we are reminded of how God's ways are so different than ours and how sometimes what is applauded and noticed and worshiped by people is not necessarily what impresses God. And sometimes how what is disregarded by the culture at the time and in history may be actually very noticed by God. If you think about it, Herod and Rome seemed to be the places where power resided. That's where the attention was. And yet God's attention was in something far more modest and in a much different place. 
No one could have seen it, but God was moving. Again, just like if you go back in Scripture of Jesus, there's this story, account where he notices a woman who was giving her two mites or two pennies. And she says, she's given more than them all, for they gave out of their abundance, but she gave out of her poverty, right? Out of all that she had. And, and again, things are not always as they seem. Some beauty, like the flower in the desert, unseen by human eyes, is seen only by God. How many beautiful things are never seen, never noticed, only by God, the master artist. And so it is, I suspect, with people as well. So much beauty God sees that others will never see. Just in the same way that there's so much evil that God sees that we can never comprehend it. We only see the tip of the iceberg. God sees it all and it grieves his heart. But God sees things differently and defines true greatness differently. And all I can say is may we seek to be great in God's eyes. I need to remind myself of that as well. Oh, and a few more things for us to consider here. Zechariah, the one who would be the father of John, who would be the forerunner of Jesus. His name, Zechariah's name, means not so coincidentally, God remembers. Which is, by the way, everything that Christmas is about. <laughs> the remembering of God. The remembering of God. That's what Christmas is about. That's what we're really celebrating. God remembers us. He's not left us. He's come to us. He's come among us. He came down from his glory to create redemption story. But let's go back to the scriptures we referred to at the earlier, earlier part of the message when I, when I was quoting from Galatians. And, and it says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. And what are we being reminded of there? That we are, as a people, we're not forgotten. And as a person, we are not forgotten. <laughs> if artificial intelligence can quickly remember and pull up data in nanoseconds, and that, by the way, AI is something we created. We created it. How much more, if I can say it this way, how much more can OI, say, what is that? Original intelligence, because that's what I'm talking about with God. He's not artificial intelligence. He's original intelligence. If we create artificial intelligence, then how much more is God able to do? Think about that. It, it, you know, he is the one who was, who is, and is to come. To God, all, all time happens at once. It's, you would say that time is irrelevant to an eternal God. Uh, he can see the past, present, and future at the same time. I, I know that now we're, you know, getting way out there, but I just, I just need to say it. I mean, whatever we can do, God can do better, <laughs> way better. It's not even close. So some people say, well, how could, he, how could God do this? How could God come to us like that? How, how could God come and become a human being? I mean, come on. If God could create this world, if God could, it could set the universe and the universe, I mean, and everything else that we don't even know about into motion, and time is irrelevant to him, then mass data is irrelevant to him. I mean, it's nothing. I mean, I, I, we cannot comprehend God unless he reveals himself to us. So what God did is he came and met us where we were. That's what we're being told here. That's the Christmas story. Because God, it's not just that he's knowing. 
I mean, he's holy. And what I mean by that is he's, he, he's more than just raw intelligence or the author of all intelligence. He is also absolute purity, holiness. He's so much greater and he's so much beyond us. And yet we're told one more thing. I know it seems like hard to believe. Remember the conspiracy of love. I mean, so we talked about the beginning that we're being invited into a season that invites us to consider the God who loves us, right? I'm, that's what I'm talking about. He, he's loving. So he's not only all knowing, he's not only holy and pure and, and pure light, right? No, but he's loving. And as Jesus made so clear when he was on earth in his earthly ministry, he notices us uniquely. I don't know why. And he cares about each one of us. Jesus said he, he knows the hair on your head. You know, he, he knows everything about us, the most minute detail. He saw us in our mother's womb. And he loves us. And, and he designed us. And so we're not forgotten. And in our lowest place, in our loneliest place, he is there in my lowest. I was thinking about this, you know, when I've failed him the most or been hurt the worst, he is there in my loneliest, loneliest place. When it seems no one can ever understand or even cares, he is there, an ever-present help in time of trouble. As Jesus said to his disciples, when he was departing the world, I am with you always. I am with you always. So, one of the things we will see in the coming weeks as we sit with the account of John's birth is that we are to live our lives as a people of promise and promises, anchored in hope, secure in Christ, seated together with him in heavenly places. So the one who has come invites us to not be afraid, uh, to not be afraid of what man can do to us, though I know we, we do fear what man can do to us. Let us not be in fear of what tomorrow may bring, though I know we do get afraid of what tomorrow can bring, right? We do. Some of us are battling that fear right now. We're very afraid. We look down the road and it, it looks daunting. We look down the road and we see an end and, and it's getting closer and we're afraid. Some of us, you know, we, we just kind of have a, a battle with paranoia sometimes about things that haven't even happened, but we, we you know, we're starting to envision something going wrong or what if this happens or that happens or they do this or if this, ha you know, and so we get afraid, we, we panic. But the Lord would say, do not be afraid. Perfect love casts out all fear. Let us, let us not fear that we won't be enough, though I know we do, right? Like I'm, Lord, I don't, I don't, I don't think I'll be able to do what you're asking me to do. I don't, th I don't think I'll be able to. 
help the way that I, I, I think they need me to help. I don't, Lord, know if I'm going to be able to be the kind of person, the kind of father, the kind of mother, the kind of leader, the kind of friend you want me to be. I, I don't know, Lord, if I can do it. I don't know if I can be the servant you want me to be. I don't. Like sometimes I feel my I'm so weak, I'm so damaged, I'm so flawed, I'm so impacted by things that have happened. How can I how can I really be of service to you? Don't be afraid. And let us not fear what what you know that people it's another fear. Let's not fear that people, even people we love, uh who well let's not let's not fear let's be afraid that they're gonna fail us or hurt us or let us down. No, I know they they will, right? People do, um, and I understand that. But let's not be afraid of that. Let's not live in fear that someone's gonna. And, and, and I understand we have trust injuries, we have past experiences, we have reasons to disbelieve that people will honor their commitments to us. You know, the world reminds us of it all the time. And we have relational history, many of us, that reminds us that people let us down. And so we might have a hard time trusting and not being afraid. But there's something about this time that the Lord is inviting us to trust him and to live, as we're going to see, as a people of promise and to embrace those promises and to live as a people of hopefulness, anchored and secure in Christ. And that's what, I, that's what I was trying to get at here is that as we let this story unfold, it's going to remind us to not be afraid of things. Um, some of us, I'm just going to push in a little bit harder. Some of us, we fear our own weakness. And we've, we've, we sense the weakness within and the damage we can do to ourselves and to others. And don't be afraid, though I know we will be at times. The Lord is with us. You know, don't. Let it, you know, let's, and let's not fear the, the addiction that afflicts us, haunts us, torments us, taunts us, whatever, though I know we do. I know, I know we struggle with those fears. And let us not fear the illness that we can't escape or even the inevitable death that awaits, though I know we do. Instead, let us trust in the Lord. I mean, that's what we're going to be invited into. That's what we're being invited into right now, that God has come and he has something to work in our lives. And as we open ourselves up to that, as we allow him to establish his promise in our lives, what happens is things open up and because the one who keeps his promises will not abandon us. And if we walk with the Savior Shepherd, uh, one thing we can be assured of, his love over our lives will prevail. It's a pattern. It's, a, it's part of the way God works. It's the story not only of Christmas, it's the story of Christ with us and Christ within us. It's a story we're all invited into. And I'm so grateful for that. I want to close uh, with a, a reading from Psalm 121, because again, just reminding us to look towards him and to keep our hearts open and soft at Christmas time. And as we engage Zechariah's account and his story and his reactions 
just to remember that the Lord is just wanting us to trust him, loved ones. And this is a season that invites us into trust. It invites us to lift up our eyes and look towards the Lord. It invites us to sit in wonder at the coming of the Son, at the coming of the Savior, at the coming of baby Jesus. How can you be afraid of a God who comes so vulnerably, right? But we are invited to receive him, right? To receive him into our hearts, to receive him into our lives, to receive the gentleness of what he is offering us and all that is entailed, the hope that that connects us to. So here it is. I want to close this with this, Psalm 121, one of the songs of ascents. I will lift up my eyes to the hills, for where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. That's what Christmas is, the God who made heaven and earth coming and dwelling among us. And he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you, he will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Listen to this. For any of us who are struggling right now, any of us who are being called to trust God and believe even beyond our own selves, the Lord is your keeper. Don't be afraid. Come on. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. No, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Thank you, Lord, for a promise in your word. Thank you, Lord, for this season that invites us into gratitude and ultimately into welcoming you in and then ultimately into welcoming in a new year. What a blessing. What a wonderful gift we have. So let's just keep this in mind. We're going to share a song together here. And then I want to come back and close us out with a blessing.
Loved ones, we are not forgotten. We are remembered. God, God is for us. He's not against us. He's with us. He is. He's come to work in our lives if we'll let him. And my prayer for all of us is that we would draw near to him. In this special, unique time, in these weeks that we're making our way into Thanksgiving and then into the Christmas moment, that we would just come with humility and gratitude and that we would lay down the things that would keep us from just being open to a renewed touch, the conspiracy of love that we're being invited into, right? That we would just say, Lord Jesus, I'm more open to you right now than I've ever been. I just wanna have thankfulness in my heart. I wanna have a deep appreciation for the meaning of Christmas. The greatest gift I could ever have been given is who you are, and I'm so thankful. 
and I'm so appreciative. I love you, Lord. May you be kept in his love. May you be blessed from heaven above. May he meet you exactly where you need it most because you are so loved. All right, go in his goodness, go in his grace, go in his mercy, and go in his peace. Yes, we are thankful, Lord, for all that you are and all that you've done.